It's good to be back in the studio and working on new episodes. Summer, it seems, makes it difficult to find the time. I'm lucky enough to have taken two trips in the past month. I got to spend some quality time with my dad in Arizona for a couple of weeks and then left for a long camping trip a couple of days later. I'm happy to report that I visited the Lake Michigan Triangle and came out alive. During these trips, I've been doing plenty of research on different topics and have come across loads of inspiration for new episodes. Back to the Arizona vacation. The Southwest, as I've mentioned before, is my home away from home. I absolutely love it there. The views, the history, the food, all of it really. When I can travel out West, I typically go in August. Yeah, it's hot, but it's a dry heat and quite tolerable. 95 in Arizona is a lot different than 95 in Michigan with its 80% humidity. Due to my son's high school soccer tryouts, the trip had to be bumped up to July. I've been there over a dozen times. This was my first time going early on in the monsoon season. What's a monsoon and why is there a season full of them you ask? Let me tell you. During the winter in the southwest, the wind flow in Arizona is from the west. It comes from California and Nevada. As the summer hits, the winds begin to shift and come out of the south. Moisture is picked up from the Pacific Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico and dumped all over northern Mexico and southern Arizona. The sound you hear is an actual recording of a monsoon from my dad's back porch. As you look southeast towards the mountains and due south towards Mexico, you can often watch the massive storm slowly building. Most of the time they seem to stay south, but sometimes they make their way north towards Tucson. I was lucky enough to experience a couple of them during the trip. A monsoon is best viewed at night as the heat lightning over the mountains is awe-inspiring. Throughout the trip, my family laughed at me every time I told my dad that I really wanted to experience a haboob. Not only is it delightful to say, but if you know what they are, they too are a wonder of nature to witness. They only happen near Phoenix, he'd say. Or India, he'd add. Well, let me tell you, they sometimes, albeit rarely, happen in Green Valley, and I just happen to be there for a monster haboob. A haboob, to anyone that's not a meteorologist, is basically a thunderstorm collapsing in on itself via opposing wind gusts. The downburst of cold air pours over the mountains and into the valley, picking up dust that becomes the new head of the storm. I was watching a storm form over the mountain range and went inside to get something to eat. Five minutes later, my son came running in to tell me that there was a dust storm coming. While I expected to see a little dust devil, which is fun, what I saw instead was a full-on haboob. As a weather alert dinged on my phone, the sky grew orange and 10 minutes later I was eating sand. It was incredible. Monsoons and haboobs are what got me thinking about this episode. Sure, danger is everywhere. Each region of the United States comes with its own scary storms and poisonous creatures, but I firmly believe that my father's home state of Arizona might just take the cake. Welcome to part one of the Arizona series.
Episode 20. Everything out west wants to hurt me. A trip to the nearby Sonoran Desert Museum finds you tiptoeing around tarantulas, making faces at poisonous snakes behind the glass, dodging cacti, and petting stingrays. I find myself watching where I'm walking way more when I'm out west. So between walls of sand, lightning strikes, backyard scorpions, and black widow spiders, I thought we'd take a look at some of the fun ways you can be injured or die in Arizona. We'll start with an insect that strikes fear in man and arachnid equally, the tarantula hawk. Also known as a spider wasp, the tarantula hawk is an arthropod that preys on tarantulas. They are one of the largest known wasps and they use their sting to paralyze their prey before dragging it to a brood nest as living food. A single egg is laid on the prey which uses the tarantula for nutrients. That, my friends, is one of the most gruesome sentences I've ever read out loud. These wasps are typically around two inches long, but have been known to grow larger. They generally have dark blue or black bodies and bright rust-colored wings. The coloring is basically a billboard to other creatures that they could ruin your day. They come equipped with long legs that feature hooked claws for fighting. The females have a long stinger that packs a wicked punch. While it will paralyze a tarantula, it doesn't often mess with humans unless agitated. Famed entomologist Justin Schmidt, who I understand let things sting him so he could then rank the pain, placed a tarantula hawk in the level 4 pain category. Others in that category are the Nicaraguan bullet ant, made famous in the first Ant-Man movie, and the warrior wasp, often found in South America. Schmidt described the sting of a female tarantula hawk as blinding, fierce, and electric. He compared it to someone dropping a running hairdryer into your bubble bath. His advice for anyone who gets stung by one of these gals? Fall to the ground and scream. The pain generally subsides after five minutes of complete, life-altering agony. Little known fact, the tarantula hawk is actually the state insect of New Mexico. Lesser known fact? Michigan doesn't even have one. I'll have to work on that. Speaking of Michigan, one of our bigger concerns when we put our trash out at night is a raccoon ripping open the bag and making a mess of things. Arizona's version of the raccoon is the collared peccary, better known as a javelina. Javelinas are like pigs, except they aren't pigs exactly. They fall into the rodent category, but also have ties to hippopotamus. Confused? Me too. They're often mistaken for warthogs or razorbacks, but to make it easy, just picture an angry pig with poor eyesight and a chippy attitude. They identify each other by their strong odors. People can smell their funk from a ways away, which has resulted in the javelina earning the nickname of skunk pig. Each javelina comes equipped with scent glands below each eye and another one on their backsides. They use the scent to mark herd territories, while also tagging other members of the herd by rubbing up against each other. With their poor eyesight, this alerts them to intruding javelinas who don't smell the same. If they smell something nearby like a human or dog or a rival peccary, they'll rub their tusks together to warn potential predators to stay away. In both the Southwest United States and South America, large groups of peccaries have been known to seriously injure and even kill people. There's another difference between me taking out my trash at night and potentially annoying a raccoon or skunk and someone like my father taking out the trash and being rolled up on by a surly gang of nearly blind javelinas. 
Peccaries are social animals and often cruise the streets with their herd or squadron as it's known. Close your eyes for a moment, if you will, and picture a squadron of these 40 to 80 pound devil pigs coming towards you as you're walking your dog at night. If it came down to fleeing towards a bobcat, which Arizona also has plenty of, or a squadron of javelinas, I'll take my chances with the bobcat. Let's take a break from the deadly and dangerous creatures and talk about a more obvious threat. The heat. I defend the heat to everyone who says Arizona is too hot for them, but at times I will admit it's been too hot for me. It's a dry heat, it's true, but stand barefoot on the cement in direct sunlight on a 112 degree day and try not to pass out. I did a little investigating and learned that between 2010 and 2020, there have been over 2,400 heat-related deaths in the state of Arizona. The number has been above 200 annually since 2016 and reached its highest yearly total last year with 520 deaths. The record temperature in Arizona is 128 degrees. That happened in 1994 in Lake Havasu, which is near the California border. That's good enough for the second hottest temperature recorded in North America with Death Valley, California to the northwest reaching 134 degrees back in 1913. At 120 degrees, things like vinyl siding, crayons, and steering wheels will begin to melt. Internally, the highest temperature your body can handle is around 108 degrees. Human skin can be melted at 162 degrees. According to the CDC, the people that are at the highest risk for heat-related illness are infants and children up to 4 years of age and people 65 years of age and older. Those two groups combined make up almost a quarter of Arizona's population, or nearly 100% of it where my dad lives. The CDC says heat stroke is the most serious health-related illness. The signs of heat stroke include an extremely high body temperature, red, hot, and dry skin, rapid pulse, throbbing headache, dizziness, nausea, and confusion. Heat stroke is a result of your body being unable to control its temperature. Basically, as you cook in the sun, the body's temperature rises rapidly, the sweating mechanism fails, and the body is unable to cool down. There's also heat exhaustion, which is a milder illness that can develop after several days of exposure to high temperatures and inadequate or unbalanced replacement of fluids. Older folks and those with high blood pressure, like yours truly, are at the greatest risk. Whether you're taking the trash out or running from a squad of javelinas, you should always have liquids nearby and sunscreen when you're in Arizona. Liquids, in this case, don't include alcohol. Let's get back to some of Arizona's finest icky and dangerous creatures that don't like you. Next up, the bark scorpion. The last time my kids were able to go to Arizona before my mother passed away, she gifted each of them a handheld blacklight UV flashlight. They wondered what they were for, and she nicely explained that they were for scorpion hunting. Silly mom, I thought. Scorpions are only in the middle of the desert. We'd learned from the Sonoran Desert Museum that the Arizona bark scorpion, while being the most venomous scorpion in North America, also glows green when hit with a UV blacklight. The gift went unused for a couple of days when I decided to take my daughter out to their backyard and have a look around. Five minutes later, under a big rock that rests near my father's fence, there was a brightly glowing half-dollar-sized scorpion. We freaked out, stared in amazement, and ran in to tell my dad. He very calmly told me that there is probably a whole family of them down there. So Michigan has backyard ants and mosquitoes. Arizona has backyard scorpions. Interesting side note, 
That was the same night we noticed a tarantula peeking out of what he thought was a snake hole a foot from his patio. Neither the scorpion or the tarantula seemed to ruffle his feathers, and come to think of it, he was awfully calm about the possibility of a snake living next to his patio. An Arizona bark scorpion is small. Males usually come in at around 3 inches long, and females are a bit shorter. They're light brown in color and quite common in the Sonoran Desert. They are considered to be a tasty treat to a variety of animals, such as owls, spiders, snakes, and our friend the javelina. When Arizona bark scorpions are born, the mom gently guides the 25 or 30 babies onto her back. She'll keep them on her back for around three weeks until the babies molt for the first time, and then they're ready to do whatever it is scorpions do. They tend to live around six years, and it's interesting to note that during nuclear testing back in the 50s, scorpions, along with cockroaches, showed no adverse effects to radiation. Let's go through an awful scenario. Had I been stung by that scorpion, it would have been uncomfortable. Had my daughter, things could have gone downhill fast. Scorpion stings are painful, but rarely life-threatening in adults. As is the case with extreme heat, young children and older adults are most at risk. According to the Mayo Clinic, healthy adults usually don't need treatment for scorpion stings. Had I been stung, I may have experienced intense pain, numbness, some tingling and swelling, and maybe a little warmth. Like a bee sting, I suppose, with a little more electricity. However, if I had screamed like a small child, pushed my daughter into harm's way, and then she got stung, she could be hit with difficulty breathing, muscle twitching or thrashing, unusual head, neck, and eye movements, drooling, sweating, nausea and vomiting, hypertension, tachycardia, and possibly anaphylaxis, or death. The U.S. Poison Control Center did a study from 2005 to 2015. In that time, there were 185,402 scorpion exposures, which works out to nearly 17,000 reported cases a year. Most of the reported run-ins were stings, except for 1,510 poor souls who ingested a scorpion. Fun fact, 49 of those reported were intentional. Good news for men, females accounted for well over 55% of those cases, Bad news for men, I guarantee you that all 49 of those intentional scorpion swallowings were men being dumb for their friends. Keeping with the theme of this episode, out of all the states that reported cases, Arizona was responsible for 68% of them. Since I mentioned my father's porch tarantula, who sadly passed away, I'll post a picture of him, or her, on my website, curator135.com. Let's move on to a couple of dangerous arachnids commonly found in Arizona. I'll make this part brief since spiders give me the heebie-jeebies. Arizona is home to both the black widow and a relative of the brown recluse known as the Arizona brown spider. Any spider lover will tell you that they are mostly harmless and actually quite good to have around the home. While that may be true, I won't hesitate to lower my shoe or an entire roll of toilet paper on even the smallest of spiders. I will say that I was brave enough to hold a tarantula at my son's sixth grade camp. They're gentle and fun-loving creatures who get a bad rap. The black widow and Arizona brown spider are less fun-loving. The black widow spider is the most venomous spider in North America and is therefore one of the most dangerous spiders to humans. Upon black widow envenomation, which is a new word I learned, you will feel pain in your chest or abdomen. What follows could be a headache, anxiety, painful cramping muscles, numbness, vomiting, light sensitivity, heavy sweating, and drooling. 
Black Widow spiders are no more than half an inch in size, which makes it difficult to spot the red hourglass marking. Science would tell you that if you're close enough to make out that hourglass, you're too close. The males and toddlers are of no concern. It's the female of the species that you have to watch out for. Tell me something I don't know. The Arizona brown spider is not a whole lot bigger, but equally intimidating and potentially more harmful. The brown spider is a funnel-web spider that is usually found burrowed into the ground or hiding out in dark areas of your home. The Arizona brown spider has a distinctive fiddle marking on it, but it's so faint that you'd need a magnifying glass to see it, and again, that means you're too close. The venom from an Arizona brown spider is meant to liquefy prey. In some cases, if not treated quickly, the bite can cause severe tissue necrosis that may require surgery or even amputation as a result of secondary infections. That's not fun. Spiders won't often bite unless they feel threatened, so I recommend keeping your distance when taunting them. If you live by my handy spider slash tea time snack motto of bigger than a crumpet, sound the trumpets, smaller than a scone, leave it alone, you should be fine. Another Arizona danger, particularly during monsoon season, is flash flooding. One might think that an arid desert would be welcoming to rainfall, sucking it into the sand and soil the moment it hits the ground. In actuality, the ground is so used to the lack of water that it does the opposite. Because storms sprout up so quickly and tend to hang around for a while, these heavy rains can lead to dangerous flash floods. Just a few days ago, in fact, a Kentucky woman was swept away during a flash flood in northern Arizona. One moment, the family of five were happily hiking through Labyrinth Canyon. The next, they were rocked by surging floodwaters that left the husband and three sons looking for their wife and mother. She didn't make it. Weather experts like to try and remind people that a flash flood can occur hours after a thunderstorm dissipates. Some folks think that once the storm has passed, everything is fine. Often, though, the rainfall runoff travels for miles down a riverbed or wash, gaining speed and force as it goes. Let's switch gears again and talk about another icky thing that can hurt you in Arizona. Scalopendra harrows, commonly known as the giant desert centipede or giant sonoran centipede, can reach up to 8 inches long. They come equipped with either 21 or 23 pairs of legs. Their hind end looks very similar to their front end, an adaptation that helps confuse predators. Like our friend the tarantula hawk, giant desert centipedes are what's referred to as aposmatically colored. The coloring tells any potential threats that they may want to steer clear. As is the case with scorpions, Owls like to dine on these creatures as well. If I've learned one thing during this episode, it's that owls don't really care what they eat. These arthropods are nocturnal predators that hunt rodents, reptiles, and amphibians. If it needs to, a giant desert centipede can reach up into the air and snag a flying insect. That's horrifying. What you'd think was a bite from one of these 42-legged wiggly fellas is actually a pinch. The venom includes a painful cocktail that includes serotonin, histamine, lipids, and proteins. The mixture compromises cellular membranes and ruptures cells. The venom contains one toxin that numbs the nervous system, rendering them unable to sense or escape, while another toxin comes in and messes with the nervous system again, making it easier to subdue and eat. While there have been no reported deaths due to centipede pinches, a pinch from one will cause sharp, searing local pain and swelling. Nausea and localized skin necrosis are all a possibility, especially if you end up having an allergic reaction. 
Man, my whole body feels itchy, and I keep thinking that I'm seeing something move out of the corner of my eye. I need to wrap this episode up soon. I've never seen a giant desert centipede in the wild, and I think that's probably okay. So we've touched on wasps and deadly pigs, the heat and the floods, scorpions, spiders, and centipedes. Am I forgetting anything? Ah, yes, snakes. Arizona is home to no less than 13 species of rattlesnakes. The desert also offers coral snakes and sidewinders. They avoid the direct sun and people for the most part. I've touched a few of the friendlier ones at the Sonoran Desert Museum, but I've yet to come across one in the wild during my visits. My dad found a pretty lengthy snakeskin behind his air conditioner a few months ago, so I know they're there. I'll post a picture of that on the website as well. There's also, of course, the only venomous lizard in the whole United States, the Gila Monster. Although slow-moving, if a Gila Monster gets a hold of you, you'll have a hard time shaking it loose. Coyote Peterson, who is a zoological journalist that lets things bite and sting him to show people on YouTube why you shouldn't be bitten or stung, described the Gila Monster bite as the worst pain he had ever experienced, comparing it to hot lava coursing through your veins. Gila Monster venom is said to be the most painful venom produced by any vertebrae. The Apache believed its breath could kill a man, and the Tohono O'odham and the Pima believed it possessed a spiritual power that could cause sickness. After 1930, no one has reportedly died from a Gila monster bite. The few that died before that date were said to be heavily intoxicated when it happened and then failed to seek proper medical attention. There's also mountain lions to contend with, bobcats, coyotes, and bears lurking around every mountain in the Sonoran Desert. Combine all of that with the dangerous highways, wildfires, and the gift of bats and wolves from Mexico and you have yourself an entire state offering a potpourri of ways to be injured. While I'm not into pain or dying and I don't love creepy crawly things, believe it or not, these dangers are one of the many reasons I love the Southwest, Arizona especially. My backyard has deer and groundhogs, squirrels, skunks, and robins who are getting so comfortable that I could feed them by hand. But it's just not the same. How great would it be to hop on my lawnmower? and cut my grass with the added adrenaline provided by a squadron of surly javelina chasing after me, or needing to stop to gently move a mama scorpion out of the way and seeing a couple dozen baby scorpions on her back. Aw, okay, so probably not that great. These creatures belong in the desert, but maybe I do too. Oh, now this is interesting timing. I just got an alert on my phone. I follow the Green Valley News on Facebook. Their latest story? An emergency call that someone was being attacked by a swarm of bees outside a two-bock home on Tuesday morning ended with one man and two firefighters being transported to the hospital with multiple stings. Chief Horvath said the initial call came in during the late morning. When the crew arrived at the scene, responders found a man covered in a blanket as he tried to protect himself from the bees that were still attacking him. So, bees. We can add bees to the list as well. My apologies again for the lengthy summer break. I look forward to bringing you a few more Arizona-themed episodes over the next few weeks. Make sure to stop by the website, curator135.com. The site is packed with stories and photos of things from various episodes and even standalone content. You can also follow me on most social media sites. Just search Curator135. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you.